0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Leviticus chapter seventeen, verse eleven. Title of our message this morning, just Focus on the Blood. Focus on the Blood. Verse eleven says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Shall we pray? Father, as we study your word this morning, I thank you for receptive hearts, attentive ears, and open minds. As we now set ourselves on purpose to receive from your holy word, and since you've said in your word that we cannot understand things with the carnal mind, I loose the ministry of Your Spirit and revelation knowledge to flow to enable us to understand the deep things of God. Father, I thank You for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth in demonstration of the Spirit of power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What we want to do is look at blood from three different viewpoints this morning. Number one, literally, from a scientific standpoint or viewpoint, One of, let's say, medical science. We want to see blood as being the life of the flesh, as the scripture says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Secondly, traditionally, blood is being used to tap into powers beyond human scope. How man, in his unregenerate state, used blood to attempt to tap into these powers beyond human scope. And then thirdly, biblically, we want to view blood, of course, the blood of Jesus, as being the only sacrifice for sin, but how precious that blood is and how efficacious it is in the life of Christians, lives of Christians and also how available it is to the non-believer out there in the world today. So, let's just begin here by talking about the blood literally, and as, as I was praying about this and meditating about it, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I want you to do some research. And so I've jotted down some notes to share with you concerning these things and you don't need to write them all down and you don't, maybe you want to get a tape and listen to it, that's fine. But I just want to be obedient to God to reveal some things I think will help us appreciate what we're doing here this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. How many of you realize that we don't have all the knowledge that we need to have as of yet concerning this supper? I mean, we need revelation, brothers and sisters, because there's so much represented in this supper this morning that if we would just know the half of it, i tell you, we'd, be, we'd just be living high in the, in the realm of life. The law of the Spirit of life would be so prevalent in the life of believers. I mean to tell you, we would just be up in the cloud of glory, just living there, reigning with Him there. Literally speaking, the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, we know that according to 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-nine, that not all flesh is the same. For there is a kind of the flesh of men, the Bible says, and of beasts, and of fishes, and of fowls. So by that scripture, you put the two scriptures together, life of the flesh is in the blood, but not all flesh is the same. Consequently, man did not evolve from animal life, did he? Because the life of the flesh that is in the blood is not the same different. We could have saved many scientists, many years of research by giving them those two scriptures. Amen? They'd have known right there that man did not evolve from animal life. Well, then what about this blood that gives life to the flesh? Naturally speaking, physically speaking, physical life. Blood is the very atmosphere in which we have our life. And body cells actually live and breathe. By definition, we know that blood is, of course, the fluid that circulates through the heart, the arteries, and the veins, and the capillaries, and releases nutrient and oxygen so that we can survive, so that we can live. Consequently, we have what is called physical life, or natural life. Now, you realize, as I do, that You could not live but a few days without water. You can go probably weeks, not too many, without food. But if you didn't have oxygen, how long would you last? How long can a person go without breathing, without having oxygen flowing through his body? Minutes. We realize that water is essential to life and we realize that food is essential to life, but do we really really realize the value of having our blood? You see, the blood traveling throughout our system is what releases oxygen and also expels carbon dioxide. And, And without this action, we could not survive. I mean, after a few minutes, the brain would suffer irreversible damage. So we can see then that the activity or the action of our blood flowing through our body is what creates life within us and causes us to have life. Now, I just want to read to you how this works. And as you listen to how this works, you think you do a day's work or a week's work when you work hard every day? You might work eight or ten hours a day and you get home and you think you're tired. I want you to listen to what your blood does. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of your life, for the length of your life. Listen to how it happens. Pumped by the heart, blood rises to the lungs, collecting oxygen from the atmosphere, filled with oxygen, then the blood returns to the heart and courses throughout the body. In the intestines, blood gathers food particles, then takes them to the liver. Here, man's diet is transformed into the chemical diet of cells. Taken from the world beyond to the cells within it, oxygen and food combine to produce energy. And just as blood delivers nourishment, so does it remove waste. The kidneys constantly refine blood, preserving its chemical balance. And while expelling waste, once more returning to the heart and looping the lungs, the blood releases carbon dioxide as it collects oxygen before circling the body again and going through the same process again. Now, you think about that. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, this is what your blood is doing on the inside of you to provide life. It's called the process of transmutation when the food particles and the oxygen work together to create life or energy inside the body. Now, notice the scientist said it's from the world beyond. See, he didn't realize that beyond is talking about from the very throne of God. See, the atmosphere being filled with or full of the power of God, the life-giving force of God, then causes the process of transmutation to take place and oxygen and food together are transmutated, and all of a sudden, phew, the energy of life exists within inside of us. And this is all done by the blood as it makes its pass, its, it's action throughout the body. Okay, that, if that's not enough for a day's work, blood is not only an abundant nourisher, but it's also a, a, a protector or a defender. It defends or protects us and many microscopic adversaries that would come to destroy our bodies. As a matter of fact, our white blood cells have the ability to detect, identify, and destroy millions of microscopic adversaries. And you think about that and you realize that if that's true, then why is it that man gets sick? Viruses, bacteria that enter in, Well, see, the blood has the power to detect, identify, and destroy every one of them. Well, if that's true, then why does man get sick? Because, you see, what scientists do not see in the blood is the law of sin and death at work. You cannot see that under a microscope. But there is something in the blood of natural man that causes his blood to be unhealthy. You know, as well as I do, that when you have unhealthy blood, you will be unhealthy physically. And your resistance to all of these diseases will be low. The healthier the blood, the better you are physically. Now, listen to what else the blood does. It has healing instincts. Unlike any fabric yet devised by man, blood will seal, rent tissue, making its own threads to weave the tear together again. As if guided by invisible hands tooling invisible needles, fine fibers weave themselves together into being at the site of the injury, sealing off escaping blood. The cloth is woven in a complicated process that scientists are just beginning to understand. I wonder whose hands he's talking about. Guiding those needles. Creating such a fabric that man is baffled about. We just go out through the course of the day, you cut your finger, and you know, it just, it just goes to work by itself. But if we realize what's happening, what's taking place, within the blood, there's healing virtue. Within the blood, there's healing virtue. So you put all these things together, and just, just very quickly, a brief lesson here. We see, then, the life of the flesh is in the blood. If you remove the blood from the flesh, you have no life. But the blood is responsible for providing... The energy of life, for transmutation, causing life to be created within our being. It's responsible for nourishment. It's responsible for expelling waste. It is responsible for defending and protecting. It's responsible for healing. Now, we're talking about just natural blood, blood in the natural. In a human being, that's how God made man and set things in motion. It's all right there self sufficient right there in itself and see adam was created in that perfect state until his blood was tainted or contaminated because of the fall and if if it wasn't for the fall he'd be a, he was a perfect specimen of a human being and this process would take place and he would not be able to be sick or be killed or be destroyed because of the way god made the human body but then again you know man fell and when man fell his bloodstream was contaminated And when his bloodstream was contaminated, his blood was unhealthy. Not that you can see under a microscope, but still his blood is tainted with sin. Consequently, it is not able to fight off all the sicknesses and all the diseases that the enemy would throw our way. Now, let's look at it traditionally speaking. Blood from this perspective. Man's view of blood was one of a source of energy, a source of life. A source of strength and a source of courage. And as I did my study and I began to see just what man did to try to perpetuate his life, it just, it baffles the mind, but it shows me that they had some, some kind of understanding or they were going by something on the inside because they knew that if they were going to have life, it had to be in blood or through blood. It moved them or motivated them to use blood improperly to get what they wanted. But of course, because their minds were darkened, they were alienated from God, they did whatever they could. Listen to some of these things that man did. In some cultures, people actually drank blood to gain strength and courage. For example, a Scythian warrior, his first victim of battle... He would have to go, drain the blood, and drink the blood to enable him to be strong in warfare and to be courageous in warfare. And they actually believed that if I drank the blood, I'd be strong and I'd be of great courage. Now, the Messiah, the hunting people of Kenya, they actually believed that if you drank the blood of a lion then you would then have the strength of a lion and you would have the courage of a lion. Now, in the same culture, they also used blood in, in their justice system or system of justice. And here's what they had to do. If you, as a tribal member, were accused of stealing, stealing cattle, well, then they would get a hold of you and make you drink the blood of the, of the cow. And as you drank it, you would have to say, if I am guilty of stealing this cow, let me die. Now, imagine that. They would drink the blood. They would make this declaration, this statement. And then everybody would sit back for two weeks and observe the watch and see whether or not he died. If he died, he was guilty. If he didn't die, then he was free. I'm glad I don't live like that. (laughs) Are you glad you don't live like that? Mm. Then, of course, you have the Orthodox Jew. How many of you know that Orthodox Jews were told that you will not drink blood? They were forbidden to drink blood and they had to drain the blood of the animal, the animal's carcass, before they can dress it and serve it as food. See, that's their culture. I kind of like that culture. Sounds, sounds better, you know, than the others. But then, of course, that takes us to the Greek. The Greeks. The Greeks used wine, see. Wine represented the blood of Dionysus. The God of the vine. He symbolized the motion of blood through the body and represented the sap of life. And they actually believed in their culture that if they drank of the the vine, the wine, the blood-colored wine, they actually believed that they were made partakers of His divinity. They actually believed they could tap in to that realm of higher life and be godlike if they drank. But you see, along with these cultures, you have human sacrifices, animal sacrifices, the drinking of blood, unclean spirits causing things to happen in their ceremonial rites. As a matter of fact, in their rites, they actually believed that instead of just worshiping a God as God, that the drinking of this Blood colored wine enabled them to be as divine as their God. And so that's what they did. They had these elaborate ceremonies, religious ceremonies presided over by priests, and they would just drink it in. And their desire was to be godlike, to experience a higher form of life, to tap into a higher form of life, a higher power beyond human scope. Then you go on down to the Middle Ages. And in the Middle Ages we see blood was, believe it or not, used to make a pact with the devil. Some people would just cut themselves and, and use the blood to write out a, a an agreement or a covenant. They'd make a pact with the devil. And in in exchange for their life, what would they get in return? They would get supernatural powers. Remember Jesus said, What would a man exchange for his soul? What, what would he give in exchange for his soul? Well, these people actually believe that by the use of blood. See, they didn't sign it in ink. They didn't sign it in writing, in lead. They signed it in blood. And when they signed it in blood, to them it meant an eternal agreement or an eternal covenant. And they sold themselves. They gave themselves over to the devil in exchange for what? Supernatural powers. And don't you think they didn't experience supernatural powers? Because they did. But the supernatural power they experienced was not the supernatural power of the living God. It was the supernatural power of the dead. Satan. And when I say dead, I mean spiritually dead. Now, in that culture, you go on, different cultures, they did different things. But now, one, they used human sacrifices. And even in today's culture, some cultures today, they use human sacrifices. Not because they want to offer up the flesh, but because they want to offer up the blood. Because only in the blood can you renew life. So they would offer up these human sacrifices, offer up these animal sacrifices unto their gods. In one culture, right at the time of the planting season, what they would do is take, take a human sacrifice. And they would offer up that, that human blood unto their gods so that they can have a plentiful crop that year. And they would, const- they would do this every year. Offer up these sacrifices. As a matter of fact, one of the cultures, and sometimes I'm, I'm leery about mentioning them, but the Aztec Indians of Mexico were considered to be among the, the bloodiest cultures, the bloodiest civilization in all mankind. And what they used to do, would take they would take their children, they would take their youth, and they would offer them up as sacrifices. And they would have elaborate religious ceremonies. They'd offer them up, and they'd offer their blood up to their gods. And they were constantly sacrificing people, human lives, to satisfy the gods. Having this longing desire to either perpetuate their life or to experience supernatural powers of some sort. And it goes on and on. You can, just, you can check out all the different cultures. You can check all the, out the, the, the backgrounds of people. And you'll find out that people everywhere, this isn't just in isolated areas. You go into the world of darkness. Beloved, we are so blessed to be in a culture where there's light. Now, we think that this is all far-fetched. Now, we think that this is all crazy. But I want you to listen to what's behind all this. Deep on the inside of man is a yearning desire to be godlike. Deep on the inside of man is a yearning desire to experience more than mortal powers. He realizes deep within his own being that there's something more. A longing desire to perpetuate life. Who wants to die? No one wants to die. And so they figured if the life of the flesh is in the blood, the only way to perpetuate life is to go to get the blood and use the blood. They drink it, bathe themselves in it, offer it up. They do anything and everything they possibly can just to perpetuate their own life. But you see, the thing that they could not find was the right kind of blood. They didn't know which was the right sacrifice. They're lost in their darkness, groping in darkness, crying out for something more. But they couldn't find it. So in summation, traditionally speaking, we can say that blood was viewed as a means to perpetuate life. It was viewed as a means to obtain a higher form of life, to obtain strength, courage, to provide justice, to share in divinity, to obtain powers beyond human scope and to make man God-like. So, literally speaking, we see that blood actually is responsible for the life of the flesh. The condition of our blood is going to be a condition of our health. Literally or traditionally speaking, we can see that blood, man thought, man viewed it this way, was the means to obtain this higher life or to perpetuate his life. And he tried every means available. Now you can get into some gory things, but he tried every means available. To do that very thing. Now I want you to turn with me, with all this, just as a background, to John's Gospel, chapter six, and I want you to listen to these words of Jesus now, in this light. John's Gospel, chapter six. Now I want you to think of yourself as being at, as I read this, not one of these others, but as an Orthodox Jew, because Jesus is speaking to Orthodox Jews. He's talking to the Jews. Listen to what he says in John 6, 53. John's Gospel 6, 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Now listen to that statement as an orthodox Jew. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. If Jesus would have said that to the Messiah, you know what would have happened to Him? They'd have had Him for breakfast the next morning. They would have. That that wouldn't have baffled them. They'd have said, okay. Okay. And they would have done it. They would have done it right there on the spot. But Jesus wasn't speaking, literally. And He wasn't speaking traditionally, of course. If He just said, you have to offer up my blood, they would have done it. They would have got Him that same night, probably, and just killed Him right there and offered up His blood. He didn't say it to these people who were accustomed to doing such a thing. He said it to the Orthodox Jews. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they took him literally. You have no life in you. And what Jesus was actually saying was this. If the life of the physical man is in his blood. Now you ready? Then the eternal life of the spiritual man is in my blood. And except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, he was spiritualizing this, and drink his blood, you have no zoe, eternal life, in you. Yes, you have physical life, but except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no perpetual life in you. They were looking for ways to perpetuate life. They longed after supernatural powers and abilities. So they used blood as a means to obtain it. But the people of God were instructed, you don't drink blood. You don't eat human beings. And all of a sudden, the Son of Man comes along telling these people, now you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You wonder why even his 70 began to walk away from him? What's he saying? Well, let's read on. And I want to show you. We, we've read this scripture in verse 63 in times past, but we've not really seen the full, full scope of it, the full light of it. Look at verse 54 where we write on through. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath, not natural life, not physical life, but eternal life, perpetual life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Now keep in mind, if he had said that to some of these other cultures, they'd, they'd, like I said, they'd have had him right there that night. They'd have cooked him up. That's exactly what they would have done. They'd have said, no big deal. We, we know we had a lion yesterday. Got a warrior you over here. The other day, I mean, you know, and, and, you know, we finished him off. Thank God he went to the right people. <laughs> but as you can see the language that he's using over here, you can see that the people of these other cultures, they were doing what he's saying. But they were doing it in a natural sense, in a literal sense. Wanting to achieve this higher form of life. Wanting to perpetuate their own life. He goes on and he says, This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in comparative. Man, he said this in, in the church. And many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. <laughs> Who can hear it? Man, we had confidence in this fellow, but he's gone off the deep end. He wants us to eat his, his flesh and drink his blood. Well, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? Now, he's talking about the 70, not just the 12. See, he had others that were close followers of his. I mean, these others were just, just irate about it, but his disciples, they got offended at it. All of a sudden, you know, everything's going fine and and you hear one thing that's said and because you can't understand it spiritually. They took it literally and they didn't understand. Should we follow this guy? There's something wrong with him now. I mean, he did all these works and miracles, but what he's saying right now contradicts everything we believe. Well, does this offend you? Jesus said, well, now, what if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? In other words, what if I tell you something more difficult than what I've just told you a minute ago? If you can't understand this, how are you going to understand deeper things? Now, notice this. Now, he explains in verse 63, a scripture that we've, like I said, we've taken it sometimes out of context. He's talking about what he just said in the previous verses. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. It would would not profit you to eat my flesh, he's saying. It wouldn't profit you to eat my literal flesh and drink my literal blood. And if we want to meddle a little bit, we might as well just meddle a little bit. The Holy Grail was considered to be the very chalice of Christ. And when they poured wine into it, they actually believed that that wine became the blood of Christ. And the only way you can perpetuate life is by actually being a, you know, just to partake of that blood. That would give you life. And in Roman Catholic doctrine, the same thing just came right along. The Eucharistic wine, so many believe, is actually changed into the literal blood of Christ. See, all these things, they come out of these cultures. and but, but Jesus is clearly saying, Now, wait a minute. It would do you no good to eat my flesh or drink my blood, literally. And in verse 63, He says, It's the Spirit that quickens. My flesh would profit you nothing if you ate it. So, if you eat the blood of, of drink the blood of any human being or an animal, you're not going to gain their courage, you're not going to gain their strength, you're not going to gain anything probably but contamination in your life and it'll probably kill you. So it's not going to profit you to eat me physically. The flesh will profit you nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. See, he's talking about these words he just spoke. Now, I know the word is spirit. But he's talking about, he wants to explain to his disciples what he said. And he says, the words I'm speaking to you, they are spirit and they are life. And let's go on. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him. Of my Father. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Now notice, then Jesus said unto the twelve. Now He addresses the twelve. So He addressed the others who were offended. Now He talks to the twelve. Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe... And are sure that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this declaration was by revelation. Peter made it, might have had a lot of mistakes in his life, but I not you to know something. He was perceptive at this point. He recognized Jesus as being the true Son of God and he spiritualized his statement. And he says, I know that you possess the words of eternal life. And it may be difficult. To hear what you've just said, because of my culture, because of my background. But to whom shall I go? And what a revelation. To whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. So if you said, I've got to eat your flesh and drink your blood, I know there has to be something spiritual that those are words of life. Now, notice what Jesus said in that first verse. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He's not talking about human life because your physical blood is providing for you natural human life. And it's involved in in, in that process that I just shared with you. It's pumped out of your heart, going into your lungs and through your intestines and, and doing its, its, its job. It's, it's providing for you all these things. And if it w- was not for the law of sin and death, you know, you'd be a healthy person. We'd, be, we'd all be healthy people. We would not die. But that law of sin and death was set in motion when Adam sinned. And when he sinned, man's bloodstream was tainted And spiritual death contaminated even his bloodstream. And his blood was not able to keep up with all the activity of Satan to bring death and destruction and defilement and deformity to the human body. And that's why there are so many people today. They need to be healed. They need to be made free. That's why we go to medical science to help the body. Beloved, listen. Medical science can only help the body so much. There's something they cannot detect or identify in the bloodstream that is preventing your blood from working efficiently to make you whole. And to ward off sicknesses and diseases and to destroy them. And that something is the law of the spirit of the law of sin and death. So now if you, you think about what has happened to man and now how he longs to have this union with God, how he longs to be God-like, how he longs to be healthy, how he longs to be free. He uses microscopes to detect, but he cannot find. Why isn't this working right? Why, why are we dying? Why are we growing old? What's happening? We shouldn't. We should be renewing ourselves every seven years. All these things should be happen, happening properly like God intended from the beginning, but it's not happening. Now go on back to Leviticus chapter 17. And let's look at the last part of that verse again. Because you see, what they did was not far off, beloved. It was not far off. In the latter part of this verse, he says, yes, blood was given for man to have life, for all flesh to have life, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that's how it works. But now listen to this. The second part of that verse is this. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And so right there we begin to see blood's other purpose. Not only does it give natural life but God is going to use blood to make an atonement for the soul. And so he... Creates or establishes a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know the story about the blood covenant that He established back there with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. But listen. They use the blood of goats and of bulls. And because they use that blood, God covered sin so that they can walk before Him in such a way that they would have a limited type of fellowship with Him. They can commune with Him. See, Adam's sin caused a breach or a tear in the union that God had with man. And there's only one thing. What would we say one function of blood was to bring healing, to bring mending. And that tear had to be mended. And you can't do it with good works. The only way that can happen is through blood. And that's why by the first covenant, blood had to be shed. But I want you, in light of that, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. 10. And let's biblically take a look at the blood of Jesus in light of all these other things. I can believe that the human, human blood is flowing like it should to do all that we said that it's, that it's doing in our human body. And like I said, it's beyond your comprehension. If you had to think about what your blood is doing 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, you'd get tired of thinking about it. But then again, you see, traditional man tries to to perpetuate life through blood, and so he uses it in all these extreme ways. Drinking it, bathing in it, offering it, doing everything with it. But yet, the only thing they tap into is satanic powers. But now, biblically speaking, the Bible says that blood, yes, gives life naturally, but by blood, atonement is made for the sin of man. Something that you cannot see that has contaminated the bloodstream of man. That prevents him from from being whole. Now listen to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5. Well, let, Let's start for, from verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. Now God instructed them to offer up animal sacrifices yearly to make atonement for sin. But here we're, we're finding out that that was just a shadow. That was, that was not, the, that was not the, the real thing. That was just a shadow. And they offered up those sacrifices year after year, year after year, year after year. Why? Because they could not take away sin. Well, God gave blood to take away sin, to atone for man's sin. But the blood sacrifice of animals could not take away sin. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, in verse 2, because the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Well, the blood of the animal was not sufficient to take away sin. And if it can't take away sin, it can't perpetuate life, can it? If it can't take away sin, it can't provide health in the bloodstream to cause health in the body. If it can't take away sin, it can't do anything to nullify the law of sin and death, can it? If it can't take away sin, it can't do. It cannot give supernatural powers. So God was not pleased with that old covenant. It was just a way to get man's attention to show him that the only way that you can have fellowship with me is through the through means of blood. But it's not drinking it, he said. It's sacrificing it. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. So we see that it's not effective enough. For it is not possible. Look at verse 4. And underline this. It is not possible. It is not possible. It is not possible. That the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So we see that even though he established his first covenant with with Abraham and they used the blood of of animals as sacrifices before a living God, all it can do was cover up sin. It could not take away sin. It was not good enough. Animal blood does not qualify to take away or to remit sin. It only covers it up. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and burnt offering, and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written to me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering, and burnt offering and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He take away the first to establish the second. Now listen to this. God looked down upon the circle of the earth and he was not satisfied with any of those those sacrifices because they could not take away sin. They could not purge man of his sin consciousness. So man is still in this state. How long will it go on? It's gone on for years now. So what's he going to do? So Jesus looks over and says, I'll do your will. So the Father prepares for him a body. So he becomes a man. And He comes to this earth born of a virgin so that His blood would not be stained or contaminated with the Adamic pollution. And we're going to follow that bloodline in the flow of the blood of Jesus and you'll begin to see that because His blood originated in the heart of the Father. The heart Pumps the blood. He breathed the life of the Spirit into the womb of Mary. She was impregnated and provided a human body, 100% human, 100% God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blood that flows through his veins is spotless, without blemish, untainted, not contaminated. And so his blood then is the blood that everyone was looking for. All those cultures. If we can get blood, if we can use blood accurately, if we can apply blood, I know there's life in blood. I know there's energy in blood. I know there's strength in blood. I know there's courage in blood. I know there's eternal life, perpetual life in blood. If they could just discover the blood, they said. We can do it. But little did they know that the babe was born in Bethlehem and his blood was pure and clean. It was the blood they were looking for. But they had no access to it because they had no knowledge of it. But the Orthodox Jew knew you don't drink human blood, you don't drink animal blood, and you don't eat human flesh their Savior comes along and says, you've got to eat my flesh, you've got to drink my blood. They're confounded. Why the blood of Jesus? It's uncontaminated. Look at chapter 9 of Hebrews. Just go on back for a moment there. In verse 8, The Holy Ghost thus signifying the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing. In verse 9, Which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being Come, an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats And the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifying to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Go on down to verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands which are figures of the true but in the heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god for us now here's something we got to spiritualize we got to see this we talked about the flow of, of human blood in the body but beloved there's a flow of the blood of jesus that we need to get a hold of that blood was pumped out of the father's heart you find it in the womb of mary in the body of Jesus. You find him on the cross. We got time real quick could you turn to Matthew 26 real quick? 27, Matthew 27. You find him on the cross, the blood still in his veins. And all of a sudden, everything is focusing now on the blood of Jesus in the gospel. Listen to this in in chapter 27. Jesus, you know, is is betrayed by Judas and you know he's, he's before Pilate and you know what's happening. Verse t- three of chapter twenty seven then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, "I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood, I have betrayed the innocent blood, and they said, What is that to us? See that, see thou to that and he said, and he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself and the chief priest took, it, took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for, for to put them into, into the treasury because it is the price." of blood how valuable is the blood of Jesus how priceless is the blood of Jesus to people that don't understand 30 pieces of silver but beloved to those who are saved oh there's no value you can't put in it's priceless but for 30 pieces of silver then he recognized it's innocent blood they recognize it's blood money so what they go in verse 8 they went and bought a field they called it the field of blood under this day and then you go on and as you read through this you hear about Pilate says I washed my hands of this man's blood I want nothing to do with this man's blood. So we see the blood of Jesus now flowing. He's now on Calvary's cross. And all they're hanging on that cross. We recognize that he became sin for the human race. That God laid upon him our sin. And the law of sin and death was totally put upon him. He became the actual curse of that law that taints the bloodstream of mankind. And then you see it flow down his, his body from the stripes upon His back. The piercing of His side, it flows down to the earth beneath, the blood of the Lamb. Then all of a sudden, you hear about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. He says, Mary, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my Father, and to your Father, and my God, and your God. Why was He going up there? Because it was necessary, as Hebrews said, that the utensils of worship in the heavenlies had to be purged with blood. And so we see Jesus then... Got, he takes his own blood and he enters up into the heavenly holies of holies with his own blood and all these years that went by that man was unable to approach the very presence of the throne of God and all the years they were offering up these animal sacrifices just to enable them to have a limited t- type of fellowship with God all of a sudden Jesus walks in there the perfect sacrifice with the perfect blood and even though the throne of God is crying out judgment, 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 judgment and they have to satisfy the claims of judgment Jesus walks in with his holy blood and He begins to just go around that place and cleanse all the heavenly utensils of worship and they become spotless and without blemish and Jesus mends. His blood begins to work making those fibers to mend the tear that was made between God and man. And He enables us to have absolute perfect fellowship with the Father. In Hebrews 10, 10, 19 it said by the blood of Jesus come near to the throne of God enter the holiest throne of God because the, the, the blood of Jesus has mended the wound and the tear and the breach that, that took place when Adam fell. It's perfect blood. You see, how do you know that he's the one? I'll show it to you in the book of Revelation. I, exactly. Look at Revelation chapter 5. How do you know he, it's his blood? Why is it the blood of Dionysus? Why isn't it the blood of this one? Muhammad and, and Buddha and all these others. I'll show it to you. Praise God it's right here. We could we could just you know deal with every skeptic right here. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel. Everybody say strong. A strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and lose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth neither under the earth was able to open the book neither to look thereon and one of the elders now notice this no man in heaven no man in earth no man underneath the earth three conscious realms that we are in contact with there wasn't anybody in heaven there wasn't anybody on the earth, and there wasn't anybody in hell. That means anyone else who was down there, whether it's Buddha, Muhammad, wh- whoever it is, whatever name that is named, if there's anybody in the regions of the damned, they saw that strong angel saying that. And nobody dared step forward and say, I can, or I will. But there was a quiet hush in heaven. No one was found worthy. You wonder why his blood is so precious and priceless? Because he was the only one that could redeem man back to God. Yeah, they spilled all this on the blood of infants and innocent children and that sort of thing. But we're talking about the blood of Jesus, which is so different. And he goes on to say, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book and uh, open to read a book, neither look thereon." But one of the elders said unto me Weep not behold the line of the tribe of Judah The root of David Hath prevailed to open the book And to loose the seals thereof I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne Of the four beasts In the midst of the elders And stood a lamb As it had been slain Having seven horns and seven eyes With the seven spirits of God Sent forth into all the earth He came and took the book Out of the right hand of him That sat upon the throne And when he had taken the book The four beasts and four and twenty elders Fell down before the lamb Having every one of them harps I mean 28 harps. 28 harps. If God allows 28 harps in heaven, He allows a piano and an organ and a guitar in church. Praise God. Can you say amen? Amen. I mean to tell you, if He's he's allowing them to shout, praise, and sing, and worship with harps in heaven, you know He wants them in the church here on this earth. That was free. Having every one of them harps and golden vows full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy. In heaven, earth, beneath the earth, no one was worthy. But they sung a brand new song. we got to learn it. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests deity royalty listen to this you hooked us up with your divine nature you made us a royal priesthood you made us uh, kings and you've made us priests by your own blood You've washed us in that blood. You've purged us with that blood. You've made us white as snow with your blood. And you're the only one. You have the only blood that can do it. Blood was the only thing that can atone for man's sin. You did not fail God. You did it. You saw it all the way through to the end. And you're the one who's worthy of our praise. And so we sing praises unto you. And the angels joined in in verse 11. Go on over there. About the throne of these, all these ten thousand thousand beings. Verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Notice he's slain. The blood was shed. This blood is still not, it's, it's, it's not done. It's just still working. It goes on working just like our human blood does in our bodies every day. This blood will work throughout the eternity of eternities, the eternal ages. Constantly flowing and working, keeping us in a place of union with the living God. And so they, in verse 12, they say with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. And notice this, every creature which is in heaven, earth, and beneath the earth begin to sing out blessing and honor and glory and power. Finally, the devil, finally, Lucifer, finally begins to sing again. But look at where he's singing from. He begins to sing again out praises unto the living God who he rebelled against. But it was the blood of the lamb that caused the rent, the tear, to be mended, to be made whole. And that's why His blood is so precious. And time doesn't permit me to do this, but write these down real quick if you'd like to. In summation, along these lines, we saw what the natural blood does. We saw what traditional blood could not do. But now we see that the blood of Jesus gives all these things to the believer. In Matthew 26, 28, it gives us the remission of sins. In Romans 5, 9, it gives us justification. Therefore, being justified by His blood. In Hebrews 13, 12, it gives us sanctification. We are sanctified by the blood. You know, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus speaks better, than, better things than that of Abel. And Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, but Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. And we have that mercy. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus gives cleansing. In Colossians 1.20, the blood of Jesus gives us peace with God. In Ephesians 2.13 and Hebrews 10.19, both, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus makes us near to God. We draw near, nigh to God, by the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 9.14 and 15, it gives us eternal inheritance. In Revelation 12.11, it's by the blood of the Lamb that we overcome. Along with the word of our testimony. In Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. I just can't tell you. I have to read it. Precious. You talk about precious scriptures in the Bible. Precious scripture in the Bible. If John 3.16 is precious. I want you to know something beloved. This goes right along with it. It's it's categorized as far as I'm concerned. in In the same class. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. What does the blood do for us? And from Jesus Christ. Who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What they could not do by bathing in, in human blood. What they could not do by bathing in animal blood. What they could not do by drinking in of this animal or human blood. What they could not do by offering up all these sacrifices of, of animal or human blood. Beloved, the Bible says that we have what they were looking for. We have supernatural ability and power beyond the scope of man. For Jesus says, I give you power in my name to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. We have We've been made partakers of the divine nature of God through the blood of the Lamb. That's what man was looking for, to partake of divinity, divine nature. But the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, it says that we've been made partakers of the divine nature through the blood of Jesus flowing through us. It gives us cleansing. It gives us defense. It defends us. It protects us. It expels anything that is unclean in our lives. The blood of Jesus makes us everywhere whole. He's washed us in His blood. He's cleansed us by His blood. We've got an eternal inheritance by the blood of the Lamb. We've got everything that you could possibly hope to have or desire. We've got royalty by the blood of the Lamb. King and a priest. We've got everything that they wanted to have by the blood of the Lamb. And... If you're ready for us, when you partake of these emblems this morning, yeah, they did rituals. They did it in a ritualistic way. In a ceremonial way. Just like the Greeks. That's what they did. They took the wine. Beloved, no, it will not turn into the blood of Jesus. That that bread doesn't turn into the flesh of Jesus. It's spiritual. And if you use faith to believe that when you drink, you have union with deity. You are a royal priesthood. You are a king and a priest unto God. And you have power beyond human scope. In the name of Jesus, by the blood of the land, you have nearness to the living God and you can approach the throne by the blood, of, the blood of Jesus and enter into the most holy presence. If you believe that by faith, it's yours in reality. And if you believe it, the blood of Jesus will cleanse your bloodstream from the law of sin and death. And all those microscopic adversaries that the blood cannot... Resist because of the law, of sin and death will be resisted, because the blood of Jesus has cleansed and made you whole. If you can hear it, as you receive this morning, with these things in mind, use your faith, drink it in, and say, "I got the life of God in me." Jesus said, "Except you drink my eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life." Well, that's what we're doing this morning, and when you do it, you say with your mouth, "I'm drinking in," as you said. I drink in of your life. I partake of your nature. I partake of your royalty. I partake of your power and ability. I partake of your wisdom and strength and courage and might. And I live with you. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. and experience. God bless.